Hi, I'm James Brooks, and welcome to From the Factory Floor, a conversational podcast about all things startup and tech, brought to you by the folks at startupfactory.tech. So welcome to From the Factory Floor. This is somehow episode 15. That's 15 consecutive weeks of providing fantastic content for all you people out there. So last episode, we did a lot of talking about actually getting into tech. It's a bit of a change of pace and we're changing pace a little bit again. And this week is going to be all about accounting within startups. So a slightly different uh, perspective from what we've been doing previously. And because I'm not the most, I'm not an accountant, I've got two with me. So a regular on the podcast now, although he's had a bit of a hiatus, is uh, Ian. Hi, Ian. Morning. How are you? Uh, not so bad. It's not too bad weather in Manchester. And making his From the Factory Floor debut is Elliot. Hi, Elliot. Drum roll. Hi, James. Hi, James. How are you? Yeah, not so bad. So obviously it's become uh, traditional ritual. I'm not quite sure which fits better. Elliot, do you want to do a quick introduction? So who are you? Why are you on this podcast? Yeah. No problem. Um, accountant, as you mentioned. Worked in the industry for about 20 years, predominantly with startups, entrepreneurs um, and established businesses across quite a wide range of sectors. Um, spent quite a bit of my career in practice, but during the last five years, I've moved away from practice, spending most of my time now working in an advisory capacity with a small portfolio of high growth businesses. One of these obviously is working as the FD for, for the startup factory. And as part of this role, role I oversee uh, our finance function, work directly with the board members on the direction and strategy of the business. Um, also work with some of our externally with some of our investee companies on a variety of financial and commercial matters. So that's me. <laughs> Not a bad thing. Well, well, that's the best intro we've had, actually. So, <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but... You started well for a debut, I'll put it that way. <laughs> so, Ian, what's your experience with so that people know that we're not just bringing... Me, so I, 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 just, I describe Elliot as a proper accountant, and therefore, by definition, I'm an improper accountant. Um, what do I mean by that? So I, I did, I, I kind of started my professional career with Price Waterhouse, did my training there, worked in a variety of kind of corporate finance management consulting roles and projects and clients, and as a qualified chartered accountant, but never really, I wanted to kind of get behind the numbers and use the numbers to provide insight and, and kind of inform decisions. So I think um, from me and Elliot, I've, I've kind of got a similar background and diff- but different experience, really. I've was, been an FD of a PLC, floated it on the stock market, which was uh, entertaining. But really, I think I always kind of have used for myself my, I guess, my financial acumen and my training and the discipline and awareness that, uh, that my financial background gives me to kind of help make better business decisions. And I, I look at zero every so often. So. <laughs> I'm in good company. When it comes to, you know, obviously there's a vast difference between you, your guys' experience in terms of how you approach accounting in, like say, you both work with PLCs and as FDs versus startups. So what's what's the key difference between sort of the corporate level accounting versus, you know, once you're in a startup? I think in, I think in the kind of smaller side of things, which is probably where a lot of my experience was, certainly within the, the earlier days of my career, I think it's certainly an area of a business because there's a, there's a small team, obviously just a kind of solo founder at that point in time, that it's an area of the business that can quite oft, often get neglected because there's so many other 
kind of areas that the founder has to look into in particular in kind of like tech the first thing that they're probably going to be concentrating on is you know building the product kind of an mvp version of the product and quite often the kind of accounting side of things and the basics don't necessarily get looked at but from my experience you know quite often not having a good grip on the financial side of the business can can significantly impact its success or 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 failure and you know during these early stages of the business many founders they're going to they're going to experience many financial challenges themselves that they kind of have to manage such as you know managing the cash flow managing the kind of processing of the day-to-day transactions you know raising finance so clearly there's going to have to be kind of business plans projections cash flow forecasting all done as kind of part of that which are obviously important to the other sides of the business such as you know developing the product and the processes etc all gen- all them things obviously need cash behind you to do that and then obviously second secondary to that you've got all the kind of compliance side of things and 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 the tax um, and the employment related laws which are all kind of complex areas of the business but you know it would be unreasonable to expect kind of an entrepreneurial figure to have experience in all these areas so the first thing I'd probably kind of say for you know a pure startup business is seek seek advice in 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 the first instance you know this is this is an area where I think most entrepreneurs would probably acknowledge them themselves that accounting probably doesn't come naturally to them. So it's fairly reasonable for them to seek some, you know, support in some key areas such as setting up uh, software and systems and procedures, which are all going to help with, you know, the ongoing financial management, get, get some advice on the compliance side of things such as you know, what's our financial year end? What kind of time period do the accounts need doing and what information do I need to keep? Find out a little bit more about the kind of tax laws and the income extraction. What you tend, what I tend to say is take a more proactive approach rather than kind of a reactive approach, which is something that I've kind of come across quite often over the years with, with, with startup businesses. So why is it you think that, you know, I mean, but obviously this question to both of you is why do you think it gets neglected or like you said then sort of people take a very reactive approach to accounting rather than necessarily being proactive yeah it it is it's intriguing because if you think about it you know finance accounting is actually the language of business you know everyone talks about revenue and cost and cash and profit so they they have that kind of awareness but they 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 don't embrace it i think for me you know behind every good startup there's a great accountant and and i think the, the mantra that i would push and make founders think about the role of the, the, the finance person in the team is, you know, act, count, think. And, and by that, I mean, have an appreciation of the, the financial consequences of your decision. I think the, to answer your question specifically, I think accountants are seen as, as boring and, and kind of are often seen as, the, you know, the, the, the person in the corner. The person that says the person that says no, I think, is normally uh, mentioned quite often. Yeah, well, well, well. I mean, I, th- I think the, the, the flips the, the, the better joke, um, Elliot, is there are three types of accountants: those that can count and those that can't. But we'll, we'll move on from that. But it is—it's just that perception of kind of what the finance guy or girl is. Where, where for me, that they should be really, you know, one of the key people in in the startup team. I just think it's seen as, as kind of an afterthought, James, as to why it's often ignored at the outset. So is it something, obviously, I mean, 
you know, obviously we've got yourselves at the start of the factory and, you know, I fill in the gaps doing some, some of the other bits. But, I mean, there's something which seems from the outset is so important. I really, at times I really don't understand how some startups get as far as they do mm. without any sort of processes around their accounting or just, you know, I know there's a, t- I know there's a typical, it's just a spreadsheet kind of a thing almost. And when, you know, when we look at the cash flows for TSF, how we look at and how we help some of our uh, startups. So, I mean, it's, there's, there's far more to it than just a spreadsheet and putting some numbers in and then being, whether you see it as pessimistic or realistic and saying no. I think it's, I think it's a good, a good point there, James, that you, you kind of make. And I've kind of got an example from a client I, I acted for kind of many years ago when I was doing my training and actually that on the face of things, you know, they did quite a number of things right on, on day one. The, you know, Sage was quite, you know, prevalent at the time and they, they got Sage software and they got some basic training on, on, on how to import the, the income and expenditure, but they kind of just got on with things then and didn't, didn't appoint an accountant for about 18 months after they they'd started to trade. So when I picked up the, the, the accounts, on the face of things, a decent little business. You know, they had a decent amount of working capital in, in the bank. If you ran a profit and loss account in, in the software, it looked like they were making profit. But when we kind of delved deeper into things, um, they hadn't taken any advice on the VAT side of the business. And they'd actually reclaimed VAT on absolutely every single outgoing in the business. So, for example, um, wages, loan repayments, their, their own dividends, VAT on VAT, believe it or not. So, <laughs> hence, they'd actually, undercl- they'd actually um, understated the, the VAT liabilities by hundreds of thousands of pounds. And once that had been corrected, it turned what appeared to be, on paper, a profitable business into a significant loss-making business. But what it also hid was something that could have technically been sorted out very on in, very early on in this business's life cycle was the fact that the pricing was all incorrect they were actually making a gross loss on sales. And that, you know, should have been identified pretty quickly. But because of this error with the VAT, from a cash flow and working capital perspective, they didn't actually pick up on it. Yeah. Obviously, as you'd expect, that didn't didn't end very well. It ended in a, a kind of a liquidation shortly thereafter. Just, you know, a kind of simple example of how if you don't seek the appropriate advice, things can go pretty wrong, but you might not necessarily spot it quickly. Yeah, I mean, cash flow, as everyone knows, is kind of the lifeblood. Yeah, the other two aspects, Elliot, where I always kind of, you know, like your involvement with our startups is when you kind of get involved in the pricing discussions and then kind of do, you know, that little high-level financial modelling and looking at, right, what does break-even look like? How long is it going to take us to get there? What's the cash burn? What's the ratio of revenue and cost? And, you know, as James has alluded to, entrepreneurs are intrinsically you know positive and optimistic but in terms of you know revenue coming in cash flow there there does need to be a balanced perspective and you know the role of budgets and forecasts I think can't be understated either. Mm, I'd I'd agree with that I mean it always it's a it's a question that I always ask you know when I first meet, meet people in business I always ask them quite early on in the discussions have you got any idea what your break even is and you'd probably be shocked to you know I can probably count on one hand the amount of times that I've, somebody's reeled it off to me. Most people operate, you know, in, in the blind, so to speak. They don't seem to have a massive, you know, kind of financial insight in, 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 into the business. You know, they, they, they kind of operate on a, well, we've got cash in the bank, we'll be okay. But clearly, the most successful businesses 
out there clearly are going to have the finger on the pulse on this side of things not necessarily to the end degree because clearly as businesses grow they're going to bring you know internal finance teams so you're going to have a financial controller a finance director um, etc so I'm not necessarily saying entrepreneurial figures should know absolutely everything but clearly kind of at a high level it's going to help them, you know, in the old business world, if they, if they do have an involvement in this side of the business and they do know about certain aspects and they collaborate with the kind of finance team and there's good synergy there and, and they work together towards a kind of common goal. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of folk I've, I started working with kind of run their finances off the bank statement. Uh, and, that, you know, that's the single metric. They, they don't look at pricing and, Pricing really sits at the heart of a startup venture in terms of competitive positioning, you know, the value of your value proposition, why you're different, why it's differentiated. You know, as, as a startup, you should be bringing something new to market that's innovative and bold. It's solving a problem that isn't being solved or it's better than an existing solution. So premium pricing is always my mantra, you know, why you can charge more and justify your pricing. But Inevitably, a lot of startups have a mindset is, well, we'll price it cheap, we'll get it out to market, we'll get early customer adoption. But for me, it's actually the, the counter to that is why are you more expensive? Because that can gives you the opportunity to explain around, you know, your point around your innovation and why you're different. The point you make there, Elliot, as well, I think, in, in terms of the balance and engaging with, within the finance team or, or individual, I mean, the, the perspective that you've got, the experience that you've got, it's actually invaluable and, and kind of people should look at the finance person in the team as, as as valuable as a salesperson, product person or as a tech person. But uh, again, I think it is a bit of frustration. I know me and you from the, the trade union and we're, we're waving the flag on this podcast, but I really <laughs> would encourage uh, anyone who's, who's kind of looking at their first startup venture, just reflect a little bit how you manage your personal finances. You know, you look at what your income's coming in and what cost you're going out. And it's just translating that to a business perspective, but actually use a use a professional, use someone like like Elliot, who's who's got that expertise and has got the tools, and the, and the tools are really important. I think things like Zero and, and the online accounting packages there make it so much easier. But you, you, it starts as all all startups do with having the right people in the team. For me, yeah. No, I'd, I'd say definitely from what you're saying there, Ian, there the has, I mean, in my, you know, relatively short time in the industry, you know, couple of couple of decades, the advances in technology during that period have, have been vast. You know, it's, it's now much easier for businesses to process data and obtain an insight into financial, soft, financial performance through software and apps. Every aspect now of businesses' key financial information can be made available in real time. This all assists with, you know, day-to-day decision-making, financial reporting and compliance, all thanks to, to, to modern tech. And, you know, that kind of allows most small businesses that, you know, do tend to outsource the kind of finance function in, in, in the earlier days. It, it probably makes sense, but that allows a much higher level of kind of collaboration with your external advisors who now kind of offer a much kind of higher kind of advisory level of support rather than just being what your kind of typical accountant you would normally think of in the old days that you kind of see them once a year they, they do use statutory kind of filings and tell you what your taxes and yeah. then you again in 12 months there's, there's more you know a much higher level of kind of day-to-day support for you to kind of work together collaboratively and and kind of 
work with people on the basis that, you know, work with people that question what you're doing and why you're doing it. Not just we, you know, kind of take the information we're given and tell you what the output is. You know, that's not really a, a, a massive use to people. And I think that's probably why we kind of kind of got this kind of stereotypical mindset of an accountant that Ian kind of alluded to earlier on, that they don't actually tell us anything that's useful from a commercial perspective. A couple of points there, though. I use that kind of phrase, you know, act, count, think. And I think that's really one of the key takeaways that I ask people to look at. A couple of things you said there as well. I think the um, the balance of the perspective that you come from a finance point of view. I mean, you know, throughout my career, you know, even when we we're as an FD of 150 million market cap business, I, I could see patterns in the numbers. I could see trends. I could sense the numbers. I, I didn't need a calculator. You have an awareness and acumen. And, and tapping into that, I think, is, is important because you, you bring that perspective. Just as the tech guy or the, or the sales and marketing guy or the founder, they've all got instincts. And the finance folk have an instinct for numbers, an actual acumen that, that I think you should pull on. The key thing for me, though, is is kind of this, this reputation and the role of uh, finance. So for me, one of my... Key points I'd always make to any startup founder is the the quality of your questioning determines the quality of your thinking. Um, not to get too philosophical, but I think what the the finance person brings is is the challenge. And and every good entre- entrepreneur needs a foil. They need the balance in the team. They need the challenge of their thinking because inevitably the challenge will actually make them stop think rewind sense and respond and, and i think there's it's not just about the numbers it's about the overall logic uh, and the rationale is okay why are you thinking in that way just give me some examples how can that happen what if and that whole what if and the financial modeling i think is really important so it's not just the the numbers 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 it's that sense of mm, actually just doesn't feel right have you thought about it and that quality of the questioning i think is important yeah no, it's, it's just to, just to pick up on that. It's, what do the numbers tell us, and why? I think there's an awful lot of well, that's the numbers, the historic, and you know all we do now is move forward to the to the next quarter. But you need to learn from that financial performance. You know what are the commercial drivers behind this financial performance? How can we use what's happened in the past to affect the future? And I don't think a lot of businesses kind of do that. I think they kind of look, you know. A lot of businesses, obviously, startups probably don't have management information, hence why the break-even's so important at that point in time. But as a business is kind of growing, you know, things like management, good good quality management information, uh, KPIs, all become more important to to the next stage for the board to kind of have access to that level of detail and to discuss it with, you know, the, the, the financial personnel to help them all make a kind of informed decisions on on the strategy and direction of the business. Yeah, things with almost the looking forward aspect using historic is, you know, some of the times that we've worked with our clients and they've been asked to prepare projections, cash flows, and, you know, some of the, sometimes potentially three to five years in the future. I mean, how far forward do you think anyone can, you know, from the accounting perspective at least, look forward and say, I think this could be relatively accurate because obviously everyone seems to rely on the hockey stick and how the sales will take off. But how... You know, what would your guys' advice be in terms of someone looking forward? Well, most of what investors ask for is nonsense, isn't it? Let's be honest. 
I, I can't even tell you what the six numbers on Saturday's lottery draw are going to be, let alone what the revenue in 18 months' time are going to be. Um, but it's an interesting point, James, because I think, you know, when investor, all startups want to then engage with investors and that investor dialogue and conversation is predicated around um, the strategy of the business model, as Elliot has indicated, but also the numbers. So I think the sooner you engage a finance person who understands your business model and your strategy, they'll be able to translate that into uh, a set of forecasts and projections which will be needed. I mean, an investor looks at the individual, they look at the founder, they look at the credibility, they look at their entrepreneurial flair and talent, they look at their track record, um, they look at their ability to build a team and scale a business, they look at the product or service, they look at the fit, they look at the size of the addressable market, will it get traction? And then the third piece is, right, so what the numbers for me, there's too much emphasis on the numbers. I mean, you, you kind of mentioned three to five years. I've even had one that wants a seven-year forecast, mm-hmm. and I just refuse to do it because if I'm, if I, it's just pointless. The moment you start to engage with customers, you'll you'll kind of refine and iterate your, your business model and your financial model. But you do need, I'd say, a rolling twelve months, maximum eighteen months set of projections that you're actually using to manage the business. They're not just like a, a wish in terms of, right, I want to get to a million pound valuation, I want to get a million pound revenue, actually take a step back and what the finance person will do is say, okay, so you want to be a million pound revenue business in 18 months. How many customers does that mean? What's the, the sales value to each customer? What's the lifetime value? How many products are you going to sell to them? And then that then feeds back to the sales funnel. So the finance guy can knit together the entrepreneurial passion and vision, but also the pragmatism then of the sales and marketing engine that needs to get there. But for me, 18, 18 months for a startup, and I just wish that investors would be a bit more pragmatic, that, you know, starting from a blank page, great person, great product, great idea, they need half a million quid to get them off the ground. Yeah, it's a reasonable risk. Too often investors rely on the spreadsheets to try and manage and mitigate the risk. And I, I just think that's wrong. Yeah. I'd like to see someone in 2013 try and predict Brexit and a pandemic in their uh, projections. I and mean, if they did, I'd love to see it. But <laughs> Well, <laughs> again, you know, you, you, put, you put three accountants in the room, you'll get four spreadsheets. I think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you'll get wild, wild, wild edition outcomes as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, what, what I, I mean, I do like doing forecasts because I think it gets people to think about the scenarios. So, for me, doing those financial projections are all about the what if modeling and do a best case, worst case, and kind of this is the case we're aiming for. So, it's good to kind of look at it, but it's all about your assumptions and kind of what you think you can do, but also being realistic. So, you do need those financial projections, but beyond 18 months, I think it's a real struggle to get any, any degree of realism in them. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think the industry standard, I think a lot of people work on industry standard, don't they? And over the years, that's become somewhere between three and five years. But I've always kind of been on, on the basis with, you know, a startup. The first year is probably the only year that you can probably get any form of accuracy to at the at the beginning. And, and, and anything further past that, anything past, say, 18 months is, you know, it's kind of guesswork. I mean, they're a projection at the, uh, at the end of the day, but the assumptions and your kind of market analysis and everything else behind it needs to be, needs to be sound. Yeah. And, and you look at some of the, I mean, you know, the public domain, you, you mentioned the impact of COVID, James, as a disruptive factor. But, um, I mean, the one that made me turn my, turn my hair out over the last 12 months has been HS2. You know, you look at the kind of the original budget for that, and then within weeks, 
it's up 20% and then a month later it's up 20%. So we just need to learn. You kind of, you, you can't forecast the unknown. You can kind of shape it and say, right, in the next 18 months, this is where we want to get to. But for a startup, it's, it's more about market uh, attraction, customer acquisition than, than building a financial model. It really is. I mean, just um, because I think we're just about running out of time now, folks. So I'll just ask for what's, you know, our usual, which is there's so much to accounting. It's obviously quite hard, especially for a startup. So what would your main piece of advice be to any startup looking at actually getting off the ground in terms of their accounting? I think let's just summarise from what I've said, really. I think the most important things is the first thing I'd say, utilise technology, but don't use it as a substitute for for. for for going out there and getting some professional advice, outsource or, or bring this in-house if, if required, collaborate with your financial personnel, but predominantly work with people who don't just provide you with information, work with people who can challenge you, somebody who can question, you know, what you're doing and, and why you're doing it. You know, that will all help give you the kind of insights into the business to make good, good decisions and put it on a sound financial footing for the future. How about you, Ian? For me, I think for any startup, it's about getting the right founder, founder team. So find the right person. So ask around other startups um, which finance person they use and then go out for a beer. Um, not saying you want to go on holiday with your accountant, but your accountant is someone you need to be having actively hands-on, hands in your business. So find the right person from a finance perspective to join your team somewhere you feel that they are collaborative, there's a a genuine personal relationship. Yes, they've got all the experience, but it's about trust. Your finance person in your team is is someone who you've got to listen to. So someone who you can trust, who's going to ask you the awkward questions, save you a lot of money, point you in the right direction. Go out for beers with them, get to know them as individually, because there's one thing that they'll do. If you go out for beers, they'll make sure you get a receipt and you can make sure that your accounting records are accurate as well. I think sort of the last point for me would be, you know, there is, there is obviously a cost associated with accounting, but as Elliot said, if you get the right person, they can actually prevent so many issues. And, you know, that's really the whole point is preventing the issues, looking for what could happen and where possible maximising what you are doing. So, you know, whatever the cost is associated with that, you know, it pays back tenfold afterwards. So I think that's about all we've got time for this week. So thank you very much, Ian. No, good. Good to be back. Good to uh, chat with you, Elliot. Enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, where can people get hold of you, Elliot, if you if they're uh, interested in you know trying to get some help with their accounting? Uh, people can can contact me on um, probably the best one is my uh, email address, which is Elliot at streamlineaccountancy.co.uk. Thank you very much. So thank you very much, chaps. So um, another change of pace for the episode after this, which is going to be our Christmas special, which considering the divides and lefts will be quite interesting because we're going to do what's better, rugby or football. (laughs) Thank you very much, folks. Adios. Adios, amigos. Adios. I think that just about wraps things up here. If you have any thoughts or questions on anything we've said today, get in touch, whether that be through our Twitter, at RealTSF, or email at hello at startupfactory.tech. Or feel free to drop in for a coffee and a chat. As ever, thanks for listening.